So I'm a big believer in going back through personal stories. So this could be origin story, could be your business, it could be your own personal life. And looking back through and understanding key changes, key pivots, and then of course a key part of personal story is identifying and understanding significant people. People who played a role in helping you to see something differently, perhaps they influenced the direction that you were going, influenced your way of thinking, your narrative, your worldview. And I think it's really important because we can start to cultivate and bring attention to these people and of course bring gratitude and awareness to them as well and really understand how they played a role in our journey and how in a lot of times or a lot of cases we would not be who we are or where we are today uh, if it wasn't for these people either positive or negative as well because of course there's lessons or things to be learned on both sides of that coin so today is one of those days where i get to sit down with one of these people pete jacobs uh, is a professional triathlete he's been an athlete since he was about three years old and he is one of a kind he won a world championship uh, or the world title in ironman triathlon in 2012 I met Pete in 2009 when I was training in that sport as well. Started off with a swim lesson that he took me through. And we spent a lot of time together. We trained together. Uh, we were swimming, biking, cycling, literally weekly, you know, for years, a couple of years. And a big part of the shift uh, that came from Pete was a way of thinking around a concept of effort and how we apply ourselves in our sport, in our life, and now of course in our business as well. And really Pete's influence stemmed what became my sort of passion, obsession, appreciation for long game strategy, uh, whether that's training or in your work. Pete has a, an amazing amount of patience, um, determination, grit, perseverance, and then also gratitude and care and kindness as well. So it was a really good conversation. I'm sure we'll have another one. I hope you enjoyed. There's a lot of value in here, whether you're athletically inclined. There's a lot of specifics that I think you'll get and enjoy uh, that we can learn from anyone at a high level in sport. And also if you're just looking in terms of business, because we dive into a lot of work around mindset and perception, which of course is something that I'm passionate about. And also goal setting as well. So without further ado, let's jump in. This is uh, John Marshall listening to the Access Potential podcast, episode 73. And this is with Mr. Pete Jacobs. With these, I just kind of organically start them wherever. But all right, maybe maybe um, on that note, just what do you what are you guys up to? Tell us a little story like you know, you're a Noosa, you're training, like what's it look like for you now? And then I want to, I want to go deep back into like a bit of story and some of the um, mindset stuff as well from, from when we first met and we'll flesh that out too. But what are you guys doing now? Like, what do you, what are you training for? What's, what's life look like for you? Um, yeah, well, after needed to take 2018 off last year was a bit of a, let's just get back and have some fun racing. Yeah. Um, I traveled quite a bit. Um, to a lot of races and they were okay results, but not brilliant. Um, I wasn't feeling brilliant and wasn't training that much at all. Yeah. And then this year was like, okay, I've 
dialed in a few more little things. Body's really responding well now. And I was able to ramp up training. And the goal was to go back and have an Ironman comeback at Cairns, which would have, would have been in June. Yeah. And obviously that's not happening. And, you know, there may not even be a race this year at all. Um, yeah, I was wondering about that. Has it pretty much been like cancelled across the board for a while? Or? They're, they're postponing races, but I just don't think that. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not hopeful. Like I'm not putting an yeah, event yeah. saying, oh, I think I better get ready for September because a race might be on then. I'm more like, hey, if there's a race in September, that's a bonus. There may not be a race until, who knows, December, January, who knows. What was the plan, Cairns um, and then? Well, really Cairns Ironman re-qualify for, or qualify for Hawaii. Yeah. And then go back to Hawaii if I was good enough to get on the podium. Like everything now is, I'm only going to do it if I think I can be good enough at that level. That is as good or better than what I was at my best. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's, even though I'm nearly, what, I'm eight years older than when I was at my best, um, I think that, you know, I can do that. You know, I'm 38 now, so. You can still, I think you can still do that. Hey, like you can peak, continue to peak pretty late. Yeah, and the more I'm learning like so much about physiology and everything else that I, I do feel that I can get my body in better shape than it was you know, eight years ago. So I saw you put up a post recently or may have been a story, uh, which was your biggest weekly run volume ever. Yep. Were you, are you doing more of the kind of like bigger volume, lower, like sort of base work? Cause I remember you did that before 2012. At one point you did a, some huge miles running. And I remember like, remember when you just were like, uh, you got super light too, and there's just tons of volume. Yeah, Is it I more think, of that kind of stuff now? Um, a little bit of both. Like back then I was still doing run efforts, but getting the mileage up to around 100 yeah. K a week. And now that when I was doing that big, those big sort of five, six weeks earlier this year, that was sort of hitting 110, even did 121 week, I think. And um, that was much more just aerobic. So that was just get the miles in the legs on the days that I feel good. The heart rate would be up more around like upper aerobic on the days that I just needed to do recovery. It would have been much, much lower heart rate. Um, but yeah, so that's just how it kind of worked. And I would just head out and any run that I went out for just was longer than it would have been, you know, in the past. So it was yeah. just like an extra 5k or so per run. Yeah. Um, and that just adds up. Let's go um, back to bring some context because the audience on this will be mostly uh, mostly small business owners or coaches or trainers, usually in health and wellness industry. So there's going to be a lot of overlap, uh, but people who have probably made this stuff their livelihood. But I think there's a huge amount of value in, in your overall story and kind of how you think about things. Um, let's go back to... A little bit of like the story, like I met you in 2009 uh, and we can touch on that, but go back further. Like, you know, you're obviously a professional triathlete now doing long distance, long distance racing. Mm. What does the first like 20 years, like what <laughs> yeah. come from? What was the backstory a little bit? Um, 
Yeah, basically just grew up from swimming and then went into surf lifesaving and then progressed into triathlon when I was around 18 years old or so. How young and, were you swimming? Oh, when I was about three, um, I started swimming. Yeah. Um, and your brother too, eh, Tim? Yeah, older brother swam a lot. My sister swam, you know, when she was young also. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, funny stories of that back in the day, mum would just leave me on the edge of the pool on a little lambswool rug while she did her laps. And then as I went from being a baby to old enough to swim, then I would jump in after her and do my lesson. So mum was into triathlon around that time um, yeah. that I was born. So yeah, mum's definitely influenced was what I've done over, over the lifetime. And um, so anyway, built up into surf lifesaving and then triathlon around the age of 18, um, landscape apprenticeship at that time as well. And in that time, I started to develop that instinct, that kind of, I, that belief that I think I can be really good at this, at this event, Ironman triathlon, because I'd done two as an age grouper. And from that point on, I was like, I think I can be the best in the world at this. What, what, how, yeah, I want to get into this because this is like, <laughs> like basically like anytime you speak to someone like you've won a world title, um, you've been at the very top on the world that mindset like what you just said is like it just fascinates me i could spend all day on it what happened like when you were you were competing you were swimming you were doing surf club you entered an age group race which is basically if you're listening that's what i race it's like you're not pro but then you were like you would have been pretty close to first out of the water or something like what was the signal for you to go oh actually i can i can do this big time yeah, it was my first Ironman event, um, you know, 3.8K swim, 180K bike ride, followed by a marathon. It was in Foster, Tunkari, um, in, oh, I've forgotten the year, I think it was in 2000. And I would have been um, 20 years old, I think it was. And yeah, I think I might have let out of the water that year. <laughs> um, and to me, it was like, wow, I'm as good as these professional athletes and uh, if not better, cause I started a bit behind them yeah, in this first leg. So yeah. And I was wrapped. And as a kid, like I was just grinning ear to ear yeah. and I got through the bike ride in that first Ironman pretty much spot on what I believed I could do. Like in my mind, I'd been training. I was like, I can do this split in the swim, this in the bike and that on the run, I'm going to end up with nine and a half hours. And most people will kind of like, yeah, that's yeah. Look, you're young. This is your first one you know, you're not going to do nine and a half, but that's, so I just knew my body though. And sure enough, I did nine hours, 33, um, banged on my splits exactly for each swim bike run plus in a bit of transition. And it was, um, yeah. And I was like, Oh, this is awesome. I love the event. Everything went smoothly. And from that first full distance, I believe like, yeah, I think I can be the best in the world at this. Yeah. Um, how did that shift how you looked at, the people who won it like did you all of a sudden start looking at them differently going like i see you guys there like but i can i can beat you or i can rate i can train with you like did you did it change the perception of of like the field or of the community um a little bit i mean my perception of my competitors has changed endlessly over the course of my career um because it was around. So that first year when I did well, it was like, wow, this seems easy. If I train more like the other guys, if I can train as much as them, I'm, I think I can beat them. That was my 
just basic philosophy on what I was going to do. Um, but while I was still finishing my landscape apprenticeship, the next year I raced age group again and I went an hour slower because I had overtrained and I had issues with fatigue and the fatigue had first reared its head. Like when I was about 15, 16 years old, um, where I physically couldn't push to get my heart rate up, no matter what mental things I tried, Mm. my body just wouldn't have the energy to push. Mm. So back then it would last a day or so, you know, maybe a, a little bit of a week here and there, a bit of foggy brain, um, but that didn't really matter too much, you know, at work being a landscape, I could still just switch off and move enough without having to think with those fatigue issues of foggy brain. Mm. Um, so as that progressed and I realized that I can't train as much as the other guys, um, cause I was susceptible to fatigue issues. Um, it was a constant battle between me wanting to do as much as the others and believing, Hey, if I can do as much as them, I'll be able to beat them. Mm. And it wasn't until like I had injuries in about, Oh, eight, nine, 10, 11, or maybe it was nine, 10, 11, 12, the four years that I went top 10 in Kona in a row, Mm. I'd had a big injury in like March, April and forced six weeks of nothing. Mm. So I only, yeah, I only built up once each year um to hawaii you know one big build up each year after a forced rest Mm. and after it was when i got about i think it was when i then broke through and got second place in 2011 that my mindset finally stuck to the whole okay i have an issue i can't do as much as the others and that was the the kind of one of my one of my many mottos for 2012 was turning my weakness of not being able to do as much into my strength and embracing not doing as much as my competitors and having that confidence and self-belief that I was better than them if I didn't do as much as them. So that belief that my, and that's where that instinct came from when I was young, because I had that instinct of knowing that I had the natural ability of knowing that, um, it was there. I just had to figure out how to get it out of, out of me. Um, and that's when I, in 2011, between that day finishing in second place and the following year, everything shifted mentally. Um, yeah, in many, many ways. And the approach was totally different and yeah, ended up being the easiest race I'd ever done a year later and, and winning the title. Yeah. It's so cool. The, I've talked a little bit about on a previous episode, one of the shifts in perception and worldview that you provided for me when I started to kind of shadow you and hang around you and absorb as much as possible. And the concept was this uh, like idea or term of training easy. And it kind of resonates with what you're talking about then. And I remember going, when I very first met you, I was like, like, cause the culture, like if you're listening to this, like, triathlon especially that long distance it's the culture is kind of built on training so more is for most people better and i was fully like i was like fully in that like i was working part-time in a running store and then training the rest of the time and i remember you when we started to hang out and ride and stuff like there would be times when we'd be pedaling up northern beaches and just like age groupers would be passing us people would just be passing us and you 
you wouldn't react. And you taught me over and over this concept of like, it's not, it's not about training hard. And, you know, fast forward 10 years almost, it was like, when I would train now, it's like the relaxed face and the relaxed mm. body and the whole mindset of being kind of, hate to use the word, but more abundant in terms of how you're thinking. Can you talk about that and what you see? Like, is that still there? And how did that come about? And what's, what's, what's behind all of that? Um, I talk a lot about uh, that. I, I learned really early on with the fatigue issues to let ego go to, to totally remove ego, particularly in training when you don't want it and you don't need it. Um, and so, because as you said, I might've let them go. There were days where I couldn't go with people no matter what I tried to do. Um, so part of that feeling of the fatigue that I had, um, I couldn't go hard. I had no energy. I would go lactic at a heart rate of about a hundred because there was no oxygen flowing my body. Um, so I learned that there were that just ego, just, you had to let it go and, um, not, not give into it. So that, made i think my journey easier that i was forced to mm. to deal with that issue um and i mean obviously with ego it's just everything that's not in the present and so it's like in the past or the future everything with ego and so that helps in training where you're like okay no this is where i'm at now or this is the session that i need to do today and that is not got anything to do with how i'm going to perform Mm. in a month's time or three months time so just being able to quantify what mattered um was just lessons that i really got through um yeah sticking to it and that aerobic relaxed style of training um it's very much like a rate of perceived exertion training as well mm. it's 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 very much about listening to your body and training like they did you know decades and decades ago um, before heart rate monitors became a thing before power meters became a thing. And yeah, I mean, that's just it. So you learn to listen to your body and you learn to become aware. And there was a point where, um, it was around probably when I was about 18, where I did start to feel that shift in really noticing that I was more aware of what my body was doing than some people were. Yeah. So I, I would be able to, feel if I was shifting my arm a tiny bit in my recovery, or I'd be able to feel if I was holding my hips like an inch further forward or, you know, something like that. So I built on that awareness over time. And that's where you and I, when we really, when my running really improved was when you and I were talking about running mechanics after reading born to run. Mm. And then our long runs, were just talking about the mechanics of running. And what if we did this? What if we did that? You know, I remember that. I mean, yeah, you years. To, yeah, yeah. And you used to pick, you used to, and there's two things here, I think. One is that if you think about it earlier, the fact that you were forced to go slow and kind of relax into things and learn that allows you to see the mechanics more easily. Like, because I remember I'd be running next to you and you'd start picking me up on something funny my arm was doing or whatever. Yeah, it was always like, your, your wrist dropping a lot. Yeah. I'd be like, what do you mean? And then I'd look down and I'd see it. But you wouldn't have noticed it if you were straining, like, you know mm. what I mean? It was like the state was so relaxed that it became more of like, we could just talk about it. And, and it was like, it was a different sort of perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, um, 
And I really do that now. And the more and more that I write and talk um, and coaching people, like I'm getting into it, that there's so many layers that affect your awareness and perception and ability to connect with your body um, that is really endless. And it's quite, it's really, really fascinating writing a thing. Like if I'm writing an article about all, all the factors that affect your effort that you may put in on this certain day, it's ridiculous because mm. the, the way that our body and brain work, I mean, you could approach it with a thousand different ways, like of, of many different mantras, you know, the toughen up mantra or the quiet mind mantra, or you could approach it with um, focusing on this certain muscle or focusing on heart rate or focus on power or cadence or technique. Like it's just endless the ways that you can in a way hack into that awareness. And yeah. I think that's what we were doing back then is finding different ways to hack into an awareness that we didn't previously have control of. And that's what you're saying. If we were just going hard and the only way that we were trying to get something out of our body was to push, then we're not going to figure out, we wouldn't have figured out all those other ways to become aware of our body that, that, that are what matters in efficiency when it, when it comes to it, when you really do need to push, you've got to be able to stay aware of all of those different factors of um, perception and input in that state of higher stress. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's like, you know, and I just want to acknowledge you on this because it was massive for me quite a bit later uh, when I owned the gym doing like gymnastic strength stuff, I realized the penny dropped. I was like, actually the strength is when I go back to think about what you and I talked about. And then I started to train that if there was any, any strain, any like generally, like every once mm, in a while. Right. Yeah. But generally it was like, mm, if I seen the strain in, in myself or someone like that became the breathing, like that became the regulator for the thing. And what happened was tension in the body dropped. The performance went up, like things just got yeah. easier and easier. It's just like shit, like back way back then that stuff with the running was the same thing. Uh, and then the cool thing is, you know, you can think about it with business. Obviously it's like, you don't need to be like six coffees a day and slamming yourself. You're not going to make it more than six months. Like mm. it needs to be that same long game sort of thing. There was a story and maybe you can talk about this. So this was 2009. So if you're listening, the, the way it unfolded was I met Pete for a swim lesson. Then uh, he invited me to do a long run and somehow I kind of hung on to him and then shadowed him basically for the year or whatever. It, more than that, but the main year leading. We were training for I, the same race. pretty Yeah, much. same race. Um, and it continued beyond that. But that 2009 was like a big focal point. When we were in Hawaii, which is an Ironman distance race, so 3.8, 180K bike marathon, there was a spot on the marathon on the Queen K. So the pros start earlier. Um, you guys cook off like, I don't know, 15 minutes or something before. And so as the age grouper, you're seeing them lead you, right? And I'm going out on the run leg, probably... I don't know what it would have been like 12 or 15 K in or something. Mm. And you're coming back post energy lab. And I'm like starting to, like all of the things Pete had taught, like, like posture, all of these things we'd been thinking about all year. 
they're just like, they're gone. And I'm just sort of struggling <laughs> along my heads. I'm still running, but I'm struggling. And I see Pete coming back. It was as if like it was a Monday morning long run. And the dude's like smiling. I think, I can't remember what you ended up placing that year, but you were coming in, like you were coming in hot. Eighth or yeah. ninth. Or yeah. And I was like, far out. And I looked at you and I remember seeing you smiling and it was the same thing. It was that same perception. I just I stood up taller, started smiling and I got the run back and I was like, it just shifts everything. You know, it was pretty cool. Yeah. It's amazing. The input of perception. Yeah. Um, and yeah, absolutely. With anything in anything, in any life, perception is everything. I mean, I would even be able to tell myself, that it wasn't that hot and I believed it. And I felt that shift in my physiology when I would, instead of thinking about how hot it is, I would think, Oh wow. Feel that cold, that cold breeze on my skin. Mm -hmm. And then I could feel it. And it's incredible how powerful your mind is, you know, and that's, you know, there's, there's examples of that endless, you know, around the world of people doing extreme things that they've overcome because of their power of their mind. But I mean, yeah, to put it into practice in a marathon in Hawaii and you can actually start to feel like a cold breeze and feel cooler, um, everything just gets easier. And that's just one of the things that I was doing. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and the same goes for like now that we're trying to, we're, we're building up our business and everything. There's so many ways as well that, you know, perception of just day-to-day annoying things, you know, you might get annoyed. Oh, this isn't working, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I'm, I'm very good at just not worrying about those little annoying things because, um, the perception of doesn't matter. And are they a factor like in this second in time, you know, I'm good at that. And, and at the same time, that's a downfall as well, because I'm not stressing about things in the future that Jamie stresses about, which there always needs to be a bit of a balance and somebody else to stress about different things. Yeah. Um, And we do balance each other out to get that sort of tension to be able to grow. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So she focuses more on like the financials and where we're heading and where we've been and that with that side of things. And I'm very much more about, Hey, we don't need to worry about the money now. You know, let's focus on what we need to do to grow right now at this minute. Yeah. And I'm, so I'm very, very much focused on in this minute with everything, um, which annoys the hell out of her in many ways, not just business, but even for training. So I'll have a skeleton weekly program, but the night before she needs to know like what she's doing at what time and what's the session that she's going to do first thing the next morning. And then she'll ask me as we're heading off to sleep and she'll be like, well, so what are you doing tomorrow? I said, Oh, I don't want to talk about it now. Like I've got some sort of a bike ride that I'm doing. Like that's the plan. I'll see how I feel when I wake up. You used to do that when I traded. Give me the shits. Cause I'd be like, I'd be like, well, what time? (laughs) Yeah. And everyone's different. But for me, like some days it'll take me an hour to get ready. And other days it'll be five minutes. Some days um, it's like lately, it'll be 90 minutes on the wind trainer warming up before I'm then actually physically and mentally ready to then push and do the efforts. Mm. And then I'll stay on the wind trainer. Um, you know, that happened on Saturday. I ended up doing about four and a quarter hours on the wind trainer mm. um, after about an hour 15 warm up. Wow. Or like, you know, I figure everything triggers the mm. right amount of coffee, 
the, you know, a little teaspoon of honey, um, the right amount of electrolytes, you know, whatever it is. And physically my body's warmed up. I've started sweating and the same kind of can be is said for the way that I do everything is very much like, no, let's just chill out right now. Let's not worry about when things get done. Let's just mm. do what we can do right now. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's how I approach a lot of things. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, the, cause the, that posture that is very contrarian or I'm sure there's others who are relaxed in that way as pro athletes, but especially at the time, I remember you would show me and we'd look at other pros and people who were trying to break through and we would look at how hard they were going and breaking down. And your approach was very uh, opposite and very different. And that requires a lot of confidence and self-belief. And when I met you, you were also known for your confidence. You were known for um, your bluntness, right? You were just, your candor, your ability just to say it like it was, right? Um, Which really resonated with me. But I wanted to just ask you about that because there's this, it seems like there might be a little bit of a parallel between this feeling of like, you know, kind of self-belief or confidence or ability to stay true to what you believe and not follow the herd. Mm. And then your ability to follow that path, which eventually won you the world title, even though you were doing things differently to what most people were doing. Like, could you talk a little bit about that? Like personality trait, do you think that is linked or you developed that at all? Yeah. Well, I guess um, a big part of the story is that I never had a coach. Like, I was writing my own sessions, um, although I was following a run program out of a book um, that I'd followed for a couple of years. And so I was repeating that, but in terms of the bike riding and the swimming, that was just whatever I felt like. I had a skeleton week to week that I did um, and that was it. And I did have a mentor though, um, an old guy that would kind of every now and then email me like a little metaphor about, oh, like, you know, he would say, oh, you should read Seabiscuit because when Seabiscuit did this and that, and then this is what you are like, and you need to be like the Seabiscuit in blah, blah, blah. So he would send me things like that. And, um, you know, metaphors kind of stuff. Yeah. Philosophical stuff that really did resonate with me. And that as, as somebody without a coach, without, um, a lot of people training with me and I wasn't measuring power, I guess I wasn't looking at a session going, oh, this power was better than last week's power because I wasn't doing set sessions on the bike. I was really just going by feel Mm. Um, to have that little bit of uh, encouragement. It was, I guess that's all it really was. It was encouragement from someone who I respected who just said, you're doing really well, just doing whatever it is you're doing, you're doing it well. Um, So just backing me to back myself. And that's what I was doing. Um, So, yeah, the I'm trying to think now what part main part of the question was. What about um, backing yourself? Like just go deeper on that. Is that is that because a lot of people don't back themselves? We could talk business, we could talk mm. training and sport. Like I work with a lot of coaches and and um you know strength and movement and physiotherapists, and there's like cultural norms and there's yeah. ways to do things, but it's a really crowded, saturated yeah. market. And so I'm always like, what's the zag? Like what's the what's the what's the way to go sideways here? Like what's your point of difference? And you, you come, you stand out to me as like, you're just doing shit the way that you 
think at the moment is the best way. You know what I mean? It could be completely different to somebody else. Yeah. Um, and there's many different aspects I could talk about. I mean, having peers around is a good and bad thing. I mm. mean, we moved up to Noosa in 2011, I think it was, um, around that time or 2012, because there was more elite athletes up here that I could be around peers and get that kind of like camaraderie around and feel like I wasn't the only one in the world doing what I was doing, um, which is how I felt in Sydney because there's literally almost no professional triathletes in Sydney by that point in time. Mm. Um, so just being around other people that had a similar belief to me that, you know, that, that helped being around other people. Um, there was also over the years after that though, when my fatigue got worse, that became, a, it wasn't a hindrance, but it wasn't helpful because they all believed that what was wrong with me was X, Y, Z. And what I had instinct of what I needed to do, it did take a bit longer to do what I needed to do because of that, those peers, because I wanted to do things like much lower carb. And I wanted to do that a long time ago, but it's very difficult when everyone else around is saying, no, you need glucose. Like that's all you're using when you're exercising, you need to just train your body to have more and more. Mm. Um, so that took a while to take that path and other things. And that wasn't just for in terms of fueling, that was in terms of my health and part of my problems. So things can take longer because there's peers sort of doing it their way. And you do get as much as my instinct and awareness was really good. There's still that uh, uh, you, you tend to step out of your comfort zone slower when there's a lot of people doing the opposite. Um, so that took a time to do, and it, it's still, it's still somewhat there nowadays, you know, because I'm still doing a, quite a few things differently to other people yeah. um, that you still feel a little bit like, Oh, if I do it differently or say something different, people might ridicule me. Um, so that becomes a bit difficult. Um, then there was also, um, I guess, um, yeah, the confidence thing was that going back was just that instinct of I believed from that first race that I could win and be the best in the world at this. But the difference around what I was taking up through to 09, 10 and 11 in those first top 10 um, results in Kona was that I, I had that sort of instinct belief that I could do really well. Yeah. But I didn't actually want to do well. Like, so when that race finished and I got second place and that year I was like, yeah, I'll be happy with a podium. And I got a podium from that day. It was very much like, okay, I want to win. Mm. And from that point, everything changed. I was no longer just training um, kind of in a slightly relaxed mindset. I was now training while visualizing the race and visualizing me in front in the race, winning the race and how that felt and all the emotions that came with that. Yeah. Um, I would visualize all sorts of scenarios of me competing against the other current world champion and how that felt. And I would use triggers to bring me back into the moment of gratitude um, to get rid of those fears and doubts of what I was visualizing in training um, so I practiced a lot that changed very much around that change between, I believe I can get there very much to, okay, I believe it and I want it. Mm. And I did everything. I did a lot more 
in 2012 leading into the race um, that, you know, if I'd kind of, if I'd shifted my mindset, uh, you know, two years earlier, I might've had a slightly different result in previous years, but, mm. but yeah, you might've needed that time. Like it's like everyone's going to have that path for themselves to see the evidence come out, to give them their own backing at their own time to be able to want to win. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be, it's kind of like we get this narrative and then we seek the proof. And for you, it's like, Oh, second place is like pretty strong proof. Yeah. And it's enough to kind of hang your hat on and go, all right, I want to, I can say this now. I want to win. You know what I mean? And show this. There was a huge change finishing second place. I mean, second place was the toughest race of my life Mm. to get second. Um, I battled with another guy for second place. Um, Most pain I've ever been in most, like that zone, that flow state of getting above the pain and rising above it was the most I've ever felt. Um, and I was the most emotional at the end of the race because it was such a breakthrough because I'd gone from eighth and ninth place to second in the world. That's what you ran the, you ran, what'd you run off the bike that year? Like, a yeah, two, yeah, I would have run a 241 or two, I think 242 the year that I got second, 241 the year before. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the quickest run splits of the day, I think, um, pretty much both years. Oh, it was one of the, fa- fa- it was what, like the, second fastest ever at the time. Yeah, the two, 241 was like the third fastest ever at the time. Yeah. yeah. Only Mark Allen and Dave Scott had run quicker. Yeah. Um, now only one other guy has ever run quicker. So I'm still the really? fourth, fourth fastest person um, to run a marathon in Kona, which is cool. You know, it was crazy. Um, let's talk a little bit about the 2012 race. What did you like? How did that unfold? Like you'd come in, you would wanted to win. Uh, you'd race there the last, more or less, the last ten years, really, wasn't it? Or last? Yeah, I'd raced there several times. Yeah. Yeah. And so you come into 2012. How did that event unfold in terms of uh, like knowing you had a chance, knowing you were going to win, winning? Like, how did the mindset kind of feel that whole day? Um. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm very grateful that I was, I was working with ASICS at the time, they're a sponsor, and they did some good video footage um, and interviews before the race. And so when I look back at that, it's just, I was so calm and confident. You know, they just asked, so how, what's it going to take to win? And I was like, oh, well, not much. And I literally said, it's, it's not rocket science. Yeah. I've done the training. Um, I'm the fittest. I've, I'm the best shape of my life. Um, I just need to go out there and you know, do the, do the dress rehearsal that I've done many, many times in training. And, and that's what it felt like. It felt like dress rehearsal because I'd done so much visualizing in training. I'd put myself in the race course so many times throughout the, the training. I'd made a mistake the couple of years before with um, passing someone at the wrong time. So I'd really learned patience. Um, and yeah, I just went into the race so, so calm. And, um, looking back, like these are all the things that I did, but I didn't know that I was doing them, but that Mm. you've talked a lot about, which is that throughout the race, I was just so much calmer. So my nervous system response was lower. So I wasn't using up like my pain tolerance and I wasn't using up my motivational hormones and everything was in reserve and because mm, the race is so long yeah yeah like so you can't, a bit you can't hours. burning stuff like at the front end yeah so i was patient on the bike at the start yeah. and i made my passes when it was safe to make passes um i was in a breakaway and i was leading the race 
close to halfway through the bike. I was even leading it. Um, and then one other guy came off the bike. He was about eight minutes in front of me. But at that point, again, I'd done so much in training that I was still so focused just on me that I headed out onto the run about eight minutes down on this guy who at the time was one of the best athletes in the world. And he, um, and so when I got to about six or seven K, my lower back was really tight and I knew that it was going to get tight because in training that's kept happening. But I knew if I did a 30 seconds of lunges that it would free up. Mm. And so I stopped about six, seven K into the run, did my lunges and my lower back freed up. And I then ran, you know, into by halfway, he blew up. I passed him about halfway. So with, with 21 K left to run, I had a five minute lead on the guy behind. And all I needed to do was just get to the finish without stopping. Mm. Like, you know, in, in an inner Ironman, nobody runs the back end faster than they've run the first half. So <laughs> all I needed to do was maintain. And this other guy, like he wasn't going to make up five minutes. Mm. So it was, that's why it was a very easy race. Cause what did you run? What did you run that day? Did you it run? It was only like a 247 ish or eight, even like it yeah. wasn't a quick run, but I walked every aid station. Um, like I said, I'd stop for those stretches because I knew to get the best out of my body on that day, I needed to do what was best for me. And if I hadn't had the, if I hadn't been visualizing, if I didn't have the power to be in the moment and, not be stressing in the future about if I was going to catch that guy, I wouldn't have done the lunges. I wouldn't have freed my back up. I would have just kept running slower and slower and slower and the pain would have got worse. Um, so I really look back at that as a key thing of what I was able to do, which was, yeah, to be in the moment, to stop when I needed to stop, that was going to give me the best result in the long term um, to get to the finish line as quick as I could. So yeah, I walked aid stations, didn't have the quickest run, but I got off the bike in second place that year. So I had my best ever bike ride. Mm. Um, and that put me in a position to, to win the race. So the crazy thing too, like, you know, you say, oh, I still didn't run that quick relative to every, you know, 247, 246, wherever it was mm. stopping and all the aid stations. Like, I think there's just such a lesson in that in itself. It's like, you can pause in your life and still run a two, like metaphorically speaking, still run a sub two fifty marathon. Like, you know, with your business, with your yeah. work, it's not about working 24 hours a day. Mm. It's like setting boundaries, pausing, resting, and you still can push and come out with, you know, in your case, a fast marathon or a great result in whatever you're trying to do, even though you're walking for parts of it. Yeah. When you take ego out of things, you really can do what is best for you long-term. Mm. Um, you know, putting ego in, you'll get a better result short-term because you're going to be burning into those hormones and, and energy that is going to get you a quicker result sooner. But yeah, it's, it's, in anything, in lifting weights, in running or riding, um, or in business, mm. if you let ego come in and you rely on ego every day, you know, you're going to get an injury or burnout, um, health troubles are going to appear, all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, long-term, you've just got to have that big picture and, um, you know, but everyone's slightly different. I mean, I, I literally talk to people who are just like, you know, when you, they're obviously having bad choices with nutrition, but they just go, oh, I don't care. Uh, you know, you're only around here once. So I just want to be happy with what I'm eating. 
Yeah. And I think yeah. some people might approach business in the same way. And yeah. it's like, okay, good for you. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's no judgment. There's no judgment. No, it's just exactly. a different way of looking at it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. And so everyone has different ways, but every now and then they, that person will still mention, okay, I want to try what you're doing. <laughs> and you're like, all right, well, if you really do, you know, we'll see, I'll see you again tomorrow and we'll, we'll do it again tomorrow. Um, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it, it's very much, there's a lot of different ways to approach something and there's no one way for everybody. Mm. Um, yeah. It just, why- it just takes time. The commonality that, you know, struck me when you said that you learned patience, um, that you learn patience, you know, you have patience in the race, you had patience from starting swimming at three or, you know what I mean? Like stuff mm-hmm. takes time, um, to build to a high level, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think even when I remember training with you, I remember looking at sort of my results and where I was going and looking at what was above that. And I, I definitely, definitely didn't have the patience. I was just like, nah, um, there's no way like I can get to those upper levels based on the time frames and all of this. And who knows in hindsight, what would happen with chipping away for another 10 years. Mm. Um, but it was an interesting lesson to look back and go, mm, nah, it just wasn't there. Wasn't mature enough. Wasn't humble enough to go slow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but now as well, it's also what you've learned in, in the time frame. like what I'm learning week to week now, um, the last couple of years about health physiology for training adaptations, I mean, you know, if we put that into practice with you in a, with an Ironman comeback, like you could, you would, you would make, you know, much, much faster gains than, than when we were, you know, in your, when you were in your, in your twenties, early twenties. I often think about that. I, I, I don't think about a full comeback, but I do think about that feeling that, you know, there was it. I always remember the Monday long runs and we would go out at pretty much 7am or so 7.30 and do usually 24 to 27k this was for that period when i was there with you anyway and Mm. um, the feeling 15 to 20k in of those long runs coming back along the beaches when you just felt stronger and stronger and stronger Mm. accelerating into that like that's a pretty cool that i do kind of miss that level that sort of flow state feeling that would used to come from that it was pretty fun yeah and i I was i think i was just writing to my guys the other day um, that i'm coaching and and just trying to get them to start delving into that flow state that little bit and maybe i was talking about it the other day as well like i love that feeling that Mm. like that race in 2011 which was the most painful race is also the one that i treasure the most like the experience of getting to that point in pain and rising above it um is something that really taught me a lot about that getting in the zone and what happens to the body when it does get there and then practicing that in training. And I mean, um, my long run is one of my favorite sessions still to this day because you're balancing, you've got such good energy flow, like the, the, the mitochondria are just in such a consistent state of putting out energy um, that it just feels like you can feel it in your body, but you've then got to deal with the brain saying, I'm getting tired and this is a bit painful. Mm. And you can, if you can get in that point where you are completely in the moment and nothing else exists except for that energy of movement, 
I mean, it's just an incredible feeling that, yeah. Um, you know, that's why I think it's so important and I'm sure you, you still practice a lot of it and tell all your clients to practice it. But the way that I approach that quiet mind with the people that Jamie and I talk to is we just try to go, just attach 30 seconds a day to when you go to the bathroom, when you're boiling the kettle and just stare at a blank spot on the wall for 30 seconds and breathe into your belly with a quiet mind. Mm. Or if a quiet mind is not your thing, think of something that you're grateful for. Mm. And it's amazing how similar that is to, I mean, it doesn't have the component of the energy flow of doing gym work or running at the same point in time. But it's amazing how uh, consistent, just getting into that zone consistently totally changes. It rewires the brain that you're, the way that your brain works. So it does. that's why I love doing it in training. Um, but then as well, like doing it just a few times for 30 seconds, you know, each day is, can be so powerful to, because mm. otherwise you never feel it. If you're not someone who's pushing yourself physically and getting into that flow state um, or the zone, um, you know, in a kind of weekly basis, if you're never getting what it feels like to be a hundred percent in the moment while your body's fighting against something else, like, yeah, you, you need to feel that to know what true, um, kind of that feeling of energy and without the mind kind with of, yeah. the complete quiet mind. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. As you mentioned, as we were talking about earlier, if you're always pushing, you don't get that feeling. And so if you are pushing and your ego is saying, okay, we're at, we're at, you know, four minute K pace, let's get it to 350. We're at 350. We're going to get 345. Wow. I've never run this fast. And suddenly you've got like such a noisy mind mm -hmm. about, Oh, and that was quicker than last week. Like it doesn't count anywhere near the same for physical and mental benefit. If you did that session with a completely quiet mind and just pushed to feel. Mm. Yeah. So there's two things I want to talk about. One is that the, I talk about it as um, being careful around small metrics. So in business that could be like people who are starting out, who get obsessive around the engagement on a specific social media post yeah. or the, the small things. Oh, I had this much reach. I had this much views. And what happens with the small metrics is it stops us from focusing on the work because we spend all this energy, like either being exuberant and ecstatic over here or with our head in, in the doldrums because it didn't get what we wanted versus getting back to doing the work. Uh, and at the same time, I see, you know, some value, like for me on the bike, I started training with power back in 2010 yeah. or whatever. And it made a difference. Like I did get some really valuable lessons from that. Mm. Uh, so talk a little bit about how you, what you think about like now everyone's plugged into every single thing. I don't even know in triathlon, there's probably devices for all sorts now, but yeah. what do you, what's your, what's your stance on that? Are you using this with your athletes or with yourself? How do you use technology um, versus feel? Um, yeah. So you need to use yes subjective and objective feedback is crucial for everybody i think um i mean i haven't got power at the moment and yes it would be nice to have like it would probably 
at the end of the session, it might fill my confidence up a little bit more some days if I could have seen my power result. So seeing the result of a small number might just give me a little bit of a encouragement. Yeah. But um, does that change the way that I train day to day? No, not really. Um, so if it's one of those things, if you don't know that it's not there, you don't miss it. Yeah. <laughs> so that I'm not, I'm not walking around going, geez, I really wish I had power. And the fact that I don't have power, I'm not as happy as I would be. Yeah. So there's no difference. So yeah. it's hard to say that I would be better. It would be, I would be different because I'm not unhappy because I don't have power. Yeah. But I'm, and to say that maybe I'd be feeling a little bit better is, is you can't compare it because I would still just be me and I would still just be looking at something and yeah, I might spend up, I might end up wasting time looking at power and it wouldn't actually change the end result whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And actually I think one of the lessons I learned, so if you're listening, power, power just means that when you ride a bicycle, it gives you instant feedback on how much actual like force. So how much power you're putting out. One of the lessons I got out of it was I saw how much I was spiking so what it did is it brought it, I, I built in an awareness around how to, uh, you know, flatten that out. And so it checked the ego because I would look down and it would say 400 Watts or something. I was like, Oh, that's way too high. Like slow it down. And so it was a good ego check, but then you're right. Cause on the other side of it, there were some days where I would try to hit the power numbers and I might be feeling rubbish that day. Yeah. And I would push to make my ego feel good. And then I'd pay for it by not being able to get out of bed for three days. Like, cause it would put me in a hole. Yeah. And so there was like a dark side. I think it's exactly <laughs> right. So what I just said that if I'd had the power, there are days where it would give me a boost. And if I have the yeah. power, there would be days where I would not have been as relaxed in that session either. Yeah. Um, so what about like yeah. high and then, rate HIV sleep? Like are you into all of that or are you pretty chilled? Like, yeah, well, well, I don't track sleep and I don't track HIV. Um, I think they're too too variable. I think some people get a get a bit out of it, and some of my athletes do have things that they wear, and and they'll tell me my their sleep was X Y Z. Um, and it is interesting if you don't have a good routine. So it's sort of like, you know, if they are going to bed some nights two hours later. Mm. they can actually see the difference. But from day to day, if you've got good routine um, and everything's pretty much the same night to night um, in terms of what time you get to bed, when you wake up, like um, those trackers can also be somewhat off as well. Like just, mm. let's just say you moved a bit more because you were having a more vivid dream that might pick it up that you were not having a good sleep. So you might wake up, look at it and go, Oh, my sleep score is quite low. Mm when really you had good sleep, but you were just moving a bit more maybe or something like that. Um, so yeah, I don't bother with that HIV again. It's, it's pretty difficult to track day to day really accurately. Um, cause just by the time you've woken up and had a thought like every day is different, you know, you, the, what you ate yesterday is different to what you ate two days ago. Mm. So that might change slightly for your HIV in the morning based on like, when your cortisol was coming back up or something, I don't, you know, there's just so many variables in the human body that you're, if, you're big on building that internal, awareness. Yeah, internal awareness. Like if you, yeah. if you, 
I would be surprised that if somebody's HIV score was really low for the day, I would be really surprised if they woke up, jumped on the bike and said, I feel amazing. I'm going to push out the best session I've ever done. Yeah. I, I just don't see that that is a necessary thing to try to base your perception of energy levels off. Yeah. When really, I mean, when you, when you feel, when you get aware of your body, you know, if you're recovered or not, you know, yeah. pretty quickly, yeah. if your heart rate hits hundred and your, your aerobic threshold, and it feels easier than it usually is, then you're on a good day. If it feels harder than it usually is, then you're not on a good day. So I, I don't think it, it matters so much. So I do track, however, um, so heart rate I do use most of the time in training, um, particularly anything where I'm actually at that upper aerobic level. I now try and not use it actually when I'm doing anything that's a recovery because I'm, I'm a bit of an EMF kind of yeah, yeah. Par- paranoid now i yeah. i i just and also that feeling of having something constricting around your chest yeah i'm the same to be honest that- so there's that you know is it emf is it just constrictive it's a little bit of both for me it's um, less it's a little less freedom feeling it's a little bit yeah. there's, there's something else there with exactly you. and yeah. so i i try and minimize emfs as much as i can so phone's always on airplane mode um, if it's on, on me, um, and yeah, I'd use the heart rate only when I are going to use it. Um, when I want to test if I'm pushing too high or, or get results from the session. Yeah. Um, and, um, what else is there to track power? No, at the moment, but however, I am going to do a 20 minute FTP test, um, on Saturday. Uh, because, yeah, because without any races coming up um it was something that i said to my guys that i coach right. just quickly if you're listening ftp functional threshold power yeah. so you sit on a bike and go is pretty much hard for 20 minutes it'd be quite sickening a little tip. you're trying to get your average power that you can hold for 20 minutes then you kind of extrapolate out okay if if ftp is x then yeah. i should be able to hold 80 percent of that for hours yeah yeah um so anyway it's interesting so but because there's no races coming up like i wouldn't normally say to people let's do that because the stress level of it can be a bit too much for some people but with no races coming up it was a motivational aspect of like let's focus on doing this and we're gonna like do some short hard efforts on the bike then we're gonna taper for a bit of a week and then we'll do the test so i'm gonna do that with them and i'm gonna borrow a, a power meter that i can use um to also do that with my guys as well. So we'll all get an FTP result on Saturday. So that's what we're doing at the moment to keep motivation a bit higher. Um, Keep the goals, keep changing the goals up a bit. Um, And yeah, but generally just how I feel is my metric that I go off. But like I said, I, I used to be the fatigue issues used to be much worse. So I used to, when I, when I would start to feel fatigued and if I pushed it, I would end up in a hole for a week or a month. Um, that happened, you know, since I won in 2012, it got worse. Um, whereas now it's pretty much like a day I can rest up for a day and I'll feel good tomorrow if I'm feeling a little fatigued, but so I'm much, much, much healthier than I used to be. So, but having said that, my point is now I will take 90 minutes to warm up sometimes because I'll give my body and mind time 
for things to change mm-hmm. and and get into the process. Whereas in the past, if I'd been on the bike for 30 minutes and it was a day that I was feeling flat, um, 30 minutes emotionally would have been exhausting. Like I'd be almost like having a breakdown because my brain fog, my brain would not be working. Mm. And emotionally I'd get so drained. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for the for me trying to will myself to push power, it was like as if I was um, like oh, just locked in a cage and I was getting poked and prodded and just annoyed constantly. Mm. Like I would nearly be emotionally breaking down. So those days I don't get anymore, thank God. Um, whereas now I can give it time to warm into it. Whereas, yeah, yeah when it when the fatigue was bad, it was really like the hardest thing in the world to try to get my heart rate to increase and it just, it wouldn't happen. And I would exhaust myself emotionally trying to make it happen. So I got pretty good at going up today is definitely not the day. Let's take it. I need a rest day. Um, And a lot of that was around emotional, emotional awareness. So as much as it is physically, it's also emotionally. So, and mood, mood is huge factor for, you know, how your that, levels are. Yeah. And I think there's a key lesson. Like I see that a lot with people in business. It's like sometimes like you have this balance between consistency and, and persistence and like, you know, sometimes you just don't feel like it and it's worth doing because it's going to come right. And maybe you've got to do a blog post or whatever it is, some marketing. Um, but sometimes you're not there and to try to bring creative flow or innovation or idea generation or come up with a great marketing idea or campaign you're just going to beat your head against the wall and it's like okay to put some lower cognitive load stuff in that day basically rest and then come back the next day you know it doesn't need to be on the schedule i maybe used to shift sessions around and workouts around and a similar thing it was like not now not feeling it and that over the long run, you end up linking together more weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think a few, a few different ways to approach that would be, um, you know, you could go for a walk and do some research by listening to podcasts on those days um, or easy exercise. So on days where you can't be creative, it's a good way to kind of do a bit of research and just listen to what other people have said to get kind of ideas and motivation so that you can come back to, some of those notes that you make tomorrow. Um, I was lucky when I was landscaping, that's exactly what I used to do. Um, If it was a choice between laying the crazy paving sandstone where you actually had to think and look at shapes or if you had to lay a brick wall and and measure and do all of those sort of things on a day where I was fatigued, I'd be like, no, no, I'll just move the bricks from A to B and you can lay them because I just cannot physically, mentally deal with that. And I didn't say that to anyone. Um, I was like a young 20, 20 year old guy. I was just like, it was just, I was lucky that on those days that I was tired and mentally brain fog, mm. I could still do a job. Um, you can still just, choose to do something and move I would, forward. as you yeah. said, exactly. Yeah, I would I like choose a lower cognitive load. Exactly. Like you said. Yeah. Um, and, and nowadays it's, it's similar. It's okay. Let's, let's listen to some podcasts and do a bit of research. Um, if I can't be the one coming mm. up with the ideas. 
And it, and it means that you're not judging yourself in that choice, which I think is really important. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like a, a natural thing. Okay, well, I'll just do something cruisy. I can still move towards my goal. I don't need to waste the whole day on social media. I can mm. still learn or I can still read. And I don't need to judge that I didn't do X, Y, Z, which I was supposed to necessarily today. You know? Yeah. Not judging is a huge thing that I've learned from that whole kind of like fatigue and ego issues. Um, but then in the more recent years, that's very much what I'm trying to tell people as well is don't judge if you, whether it's like they've, they've broken from their nutrition goal, like they've had a bad meal um, or a treat or whether they've, um, missed a session, um, or whether something else just popped up in life and yeah, they didn't get as much work done. Mm. It's very much, you know, we really try and focus on, um, moving on from that. And actually one of my clients taught me a good, um, phrase for that is the three F's it's, it's forgive yourself, forget it and focus. So in three little words, you can just, you know, forgive yourself for what happened forget about it. So you're just like, okay, we're in the moment now. It doesn't, it no longer exists and then focus on what is happening now. Um, so yeah. And that's just how we've been trying to get people to do it as well. Cause if you have the bad treat, but then you also attach a lot of guilt to it, mm. you know, you're, you're doubling in, down. In, impacting the nervous system stress much more than just what eating that thing would have done, which may not have done anything bad at all, even. Mm. Um, but the nervous system stress and anxiety that you're bringing and carrying through after that episode. Yeah. So I really try and I've been really good at that with my training over the years of, you know, when a session doesn't go well, cause I was a bit fatigued. Um, I got really good at that. Just, okay, no, it doesn't matter today. It's a rest day. Mm. And totally chilled and just not even thinking about what I'm not doing. Um, and that's, that's another thing that I did in 2012 that really worked was three things a day that helped my body get in better shape. Um, mm. but those three things included having a nap, having a massage, um, doing some foam rolling, you know, as well as swim, bike, run mobility, you know, um, stretching, all those things. So, yeah. Yeah. I love that. We, we, yeah. In the, um, in the program that I run, we have like a daily intention sheet. And one of the questions, if you choose to fill it out, one of the questions is like three non-negotiables. There's like three things nice and simple that move you towards where you're going. You know what I mean? Yeah. I had to do three, three sessions a day. Um, but on a Monday that was nap massage and a bit of stretching. Like, yeah. and I was happy and I was really, really happy that I got three things done mm. and other days that would have been, I would have done, you know, several hours of training. I would have ridden for five hours, run an hour and had an easy swim. <laughs> like, yeah. um, the difference is it, it just depends on your perception of, and that is what influences how you feel. Yeah. I love it. Maybe just to wrap up, I want to I want to get some uh, not takeaways, but you know you've come on you 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 spoke at one of the retreats that I ran back in 2017, 2016, around that time, mm. um, and you talked a little bit about goal setting, a little bit about kind of vision. We just did a a, a project in the APA program, which is the program I run around creating vision. A lot of people chose to do more visual painting drawings to, 
sort of um, articulate part of where they're going, maybe professionally, personally, something to come back to and, and bring that right brain. But anyway, I wanted to get your thoughts. If someone's out there, they got business, they're starting a new career and the market's flooded, you know, and it's like triathlon, there's thousands of athletes and it's just super busy and crowded. There's lots of noise. How do you, what would you suggest to them in terms of setting that longer term thing or that belief or instilling that, that personal power to, to go, you know, if you, if you look back knowing what you knew after 2012 and looked at you, you know, when you were 18 or 19, um, what are some thoughts or some ideas that you might have that could help people set big visions like world champion visions? Like how do we do that? Um, oh, I think a, a big part of it is you've got to have that gut belief. Um, and I think you touched on it a little while ago. We both touched on it, but we didn't actually say it that um, sometimes positive affirmations can actually be negative if you don't believe it. I, like I'm not a big positive affirmation person because if I believe it to be true, then it's already inbuilt in my subconscious. Like, whereas if I say something that I don't believe to be true and I'm saying it out loud, that can actually kind of undermine my other positive beliefs and confidence in other aspects. So first off, I think you have to just have a gut instinct about what it is that you want to achieve. Mm -hmm. um, and you've got to believe it subconsciously. So, you know, for me, maybe for, for, you know, when I was aiming at a podium in Kona, if that year I'd suddenly turned around and said, no, I want to win this year, but didn't fully believe it then that might've actually undermined my ability to get second place that year. So choose, choose goals that you absolutely believe subconsciously in your gut. Um, and then you've got to not just, as I did turned around in, in 2012 and actually not just believe that, Oh, this will happen for me, but I want it to happen. So then you started, I started doing more things to make that happen. The little things. Mm. Um, and as you said, focused on, focused on the things that made the long-term gains, not, not the day-to-day -day changes in, you know, whether it was power on the bike or heart rate or social media numbers, it was very much more about, am I just doing what I need to do day-to-day -day? three things that I can tick off and say, I've made my body better for the long-term for this event day-to-day. -day. Um, they didn't need to be huge, huge goals every day. It was just consistency. Um, I think also um, the mindset around um, just sort of uh, awareness of um, being, being calm while you're doing it. And I know you've spoken a lot about this. Um, and it is about learning how to be calm while you're doing something and not you wasting energy, mm. getting your emotional levels up when they don't need to be. Mm. Um, so I mean, that's the thing with, with racing. It was very much with Ironman. It's very much like a, a steady state emotional thing. And that's what I was training for. Um, and so for months and months leading into it, that same emotional state was present. And 
you know, I've made commitments and um, I guess that's something that I can really hit on is if, if I didn't commit by giving up ice cream, by not going and sitting at coffee shops. So the thing, things that I sacrificed actually made me work better because I knew that I was more committed. Yeah. So yeah, I think sacrifice isn't sacrifice. I think, I think it's not a bad thing. Sacrificing makes me happy. If I'm not all in on something, it gives you proof. It gives you evidence that your, your narrative is, is true and strong. Yeah. Like it gives yeah. you a green light. Yeah. And if I'm not all in, then I'm not happy. So I'm much, much, I'm, everyone's different, but my personality is that I want to, um, sacrifice. I want to be committed and I want to be cold Turkey on some things. Um, and that's just the way that my brain works. Some people are better at moderation. I'm, I'm more of an abstainer and I get happiness from abstaining. So if I'm really much like I've told myself, I don't want to sit at a coffee shop and I've told myself I'm not going to eat ice cream or chocolate. When I do that, I'm really happy. Um, and it doesn't give me any satisfaction to have one piece of chocolate or, you know, go sit at the coffee shop when I could have been at home foam rolling. So sacrifice makes me happy and that makes me commit more and keeps me more focused. Mm. Um, if I go off the path on one of those things that I've kind of said no to, but then I start doing it, then everything else ends up turning to shit too, because I haven't stayed a hundred percent committed. And so, yeah, that's, I guess that's my big, that would be my big key for people. You've got to fully believe it in your gut. Um, and then you've got to do the things that you really believe need to be done to get there and, and sacrifice for that. There's no point. So other people will be different and, and to them sacrifice will make them unhappy. Um, whereas sacrifice to me actually makes me happier. <laughs> I love it. And then just rinse and repeat, huh? Long yeah, time. Absolutely. And then when you, when you reach a goal, then it is a time to change things up and you yeah. can, okay, I've, I've hit this goal. I've been, for me, it was like two to three months, three months maybe of like sticking to that commitment and that, that same routine. And then after that, it was like, Oh, okay. Now I can go hang out with friends, do the social thing, um, have a couple of drinks, which, which now don't even matter. Like now I don't even drink at all, even if I'm not, aiming for a race. Um, and yeah, that sort of thing, you know, things change over time. What you think is a, is a release or what you think is, is, is what you want to enjoy mm. is always changing. But uh, by doing that, I think that's really important. Like doing that, that sprint, that leg of two, three months, whether that was a certain practice or abstaining yeah. from something or whatever you've, and then knocking that off the list, it's kind of this, um, reinforcement of your own trust in yourself which yeah. when you zoom out on the macro it's like then you want to apply this to oh i believe i can win a world title mm. you're you're compounding and you're doubling down so your trust in your own behaviors and actions and patterns and habits gets really really strong which which is super powerful you know because at the beginning, if that's not there, it's hard to set something in the sand and go, yeah, I'm going to go and do this when I can't trust myself to not do something for 10 days or whatever it might be. Yeah. And, and part of being um, kind of in the moment, but also focused on your goal is every time you sacrifice, it's a reminder that 
you're sticking to your goal. And that's what I love. Every time I said no to something, it was like, oh man, I feel so good because I've got this goal that I'm working towards. Yeah. Um, so it's one of those things. Maybe it's you need to actually look at your, you know, your, your kind of like vision board every day to remind you. But for me, it was just the sacrifices reminded me of that goal constantly. Yeah. And, you know, that's every time I thought of that goal, it made me like happy and buzzed. So every time I sacrificed, the happiness came from the buzz of feeling like, oh, when I get to that goal, this is how it's going to feel. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Awesome, man. Anything else you want to add in or run through or talk about? Yeah, no, I think we've covered heaps. Um, yeah, I think just everything keeps changing. Your body keeps changing. Um, your mind keeps changing. Um, so just keep staying aware and um, yeah, don't get too into habits. I think routines are fantastic, but habits can be, you know, you've got to define what's a habit and what's a routine a little totally. bit. Um, yeah. Let's say, for example, training um, the guys, my guys that I'm coaching, it's a bit like, if you had a good session the other day and you ate X or you ate nothing, don't now suddenly think you have to do that same thing every day. Yeah. Cause one morning you're going to wake up, you're going to be hungry and yet your brain, you're, you're like being dogmatic and you'll be like, Oh no, but I didn't eat the last time. So even though I'm hungry, I'm not going to have it today. Yeah. And so just being really flexible, listening to the body on everything because there is no like re re repetition with the body. Like, yeah. You know, if you think that eating a certain thing or doing a certain thing is the best way every single day, you know, it's just not, it's not going to happen. Just um, listen to your body, whatever makes you happy, whatever gets you out the door or whatever gets you committed to your um, long-term goal. You know, that's just what you've got to do on that day in that moment. Love it. So much yeah. gold in there. Thanks heaps, man. <laughs> we'll have to do another one for sure. Ah, cool. Talk Thanks for, for the chat. That's been great. You know, this is for the, the health, you know, the longevity of your business and your tribe and yourself, your relationships. Um, so it's invaluable. You know, this is an area that no one really speaks about. Most, you know, amazing small businesses, big businesses that, you know, kind of value clients, value team, you know, kind of, um, they have to have the soft skills in play because it humanizes everything. It's about people. The Access Potential Academy is a six month program for small business owners who are ready to grow. People who want to level up and be surrounded by like-minded business owners, other people who are looking to grow as well. There's a big focus on what are called foundational skills or soft skills. This is right brain thinking, the ability to humanize your business, your marketing, your sales, the ability to find your voice, the ability to connect more powerfully, cultivate empathy for your audience, the people you serve. If this sounds like something that you're interested in, you're ready to finally grow, finally level up your business and the skills that you need for long-term success in business, reach out. Send me an email, john at johntmarsh.com. We're currently underway with the 2020 wave, uh, but we will be looking at the next wave as we move into next year.